0: I will tell you this, you can't deal with it unless you decide to deal with it. You know what I mean? You, you can't just do it on your own. You can't just bump through life. Um, just going for a run when you feel stressed out or just, you know, having a glass of wine, you know, there is stuff that needs to be dealt with There's stuff that needs to be worked on. And so you need to go and work on it. And, and, and that's mm-hmm. going to take, you know, take some dedicated time for yourself and, if my story is, is, is meaningful to anybody in any sort of way, then I'd be incredibly happy to know that somebody could then have the bravery to go and search out some of these modalities.
1: Hello and welcome back. This is Exeter Real. I am Tracy Duke and this is where leaders create leaders. Produced by Felix Northover and recorded in current circumstances via Zoom, we ask the question, what does it take to thrive in a world of both challenge and opportunity? In this unprecedented time of global chaos and uncertainty, we as leaders, entrepreneurs and change makers need to dig deep and draw on our innate abilities to problem solve, innovate and instill a sense of calm and to lead with confidence. Now, more than ever, we need to be getting clear on the facts, differentiating between what's real and what's hype and building common sense conversations around the truth to make the best decisions for those relying on us. And more than ever before, we need to bring our focus back to our own mental health and wellness in order to bring our skill sets to the table and to continue thriving. When it comes to running your business, finding good people can be challenging, especially when competition is fierce for top talent. My guest today is William Leighton, the Chief Headhunter and CEO of Exige, an executive recruitment company founded in 2001. When William founded Exige, he began with one clear ambitious goal in mind, to change the face of recruitment. Today's conversation will delve into his key observations over a 20-year career and explores his own journey of enlightenment. His curiosity as to the outer limits of human potential has seen him explore areas of transformational breathing, meditation, and stoicism, harnessing rare and occasionally controversial states of consciousness to solve critical challenges and reach enlightenment. William, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the podcast today from your home in Exeter. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. And Before we jump into conversation, I have to ask you, how are you doing? How's the whole isolation thing going?
0: Hi, Tracy, um, Very nice to be with you. Thank you very much for that wonderful introduction, if I can ever live up to any of that. Um, uh, yes, and, and to answer to your question, I'm, I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm two weeks in. Um, my family and I are beginning to adjust to the new regime, um, finding a rhythm and a a beat to the household, which is not entirely unenjoyable. Um, So really enjoying the one-on-one time and deep family time that we're getting together. So we're all relatively well. (laughs) So yes, um, thank you very much.
1: And I'm very impressed with that office you have there. It It does look like a very nice place to be right now
0: yes i um i think through just sheer luck and fortune I had built my business um to be here at home and and with headhunting the way it is is that it's a remote business so that we can operate remotely um i uh, yeah in 2009 bought this place here just on the outside, outskirts of exeter um i've have it's something like a small holding um and I was able to build the office building here in Ireland. So mm. that's why I can still continue to work with relative um, ease yeah. and <laughs> lack of disruption. So yeah, again, I'm, I'm I'm weathering the storm pretty pretty nicely at the moment.
1: Good. Well, look, um, let's start our conversation um, with talking about your ambition and focus for Exige because, uh, you know, you was always, your focus was to change the face of recruitment. Now that's <laughs> an ambitious goal in anyone's book. So where did that come from? Where's the oh, drive?
0: Wow. The ambition of youth. Uh, that's yeah. probably what it was. Um, <laughs> I, I, um, I started out in headhunting when I was 17 or 18. Um, mm-hmm. I like to say at the end of the golden age of headhunting. So this was sort of the late 1990s. When music was great, but fashion was terrible. Um, certainly, what <laughs> I, I was wearing. Yeah, yes. certainly what I was wearing. Anyway, um, <laughs> but it was the end of the the golden age of headhunting, and um, everything changed with LinkedIn. In fact, so every industry goes through some type of fundamental disruption, and recruitment went through that, um, and it changed everything. But. That still, you know, was a, an early, still the end of that that peak period, and that's when I set up Excisions International after the dot com uh, bust and just after September the 11th. And with uh, the hubris of youth, I had an ambition to to do something different. Whether or not I've achieved it entirely as quickly as I'd hoped, um, but I think like where we are now is definitely doing something which is different. So um, mm-hmm. I must I must be somewhat pleased with with where we've got to, I suppose.
1: Good. So what, you know, obviously we've been thrown into, you know, obviously a, an incredibly uncertain time. We know that. What, what have been the biggest challenges that you've had to face in, in the immediate sense, In you know, the last two weeks? How's that gone? Yeah.
0: Um, I, I'm because of the nature of my work. So your listeners right know is that I'm my my market focus is the UK and Switzerland, so I have a, an office in Switzerland as well, um, which I'll travel to when I'm when I'm working there. Um, so my core markets UK and Switzerland and also continental Europe. Um, the European market reacted um, more quickly to the, um, the COVID nineteen pandemic, and so it was you were starting to see some elements of shutdown and reaction taking place in some of those markets quickly. So I was sort of seeing elements of it happening. I think the big, the big effect on my business, frankly, has been as we've kind of progressed now that um, confidence is starting to evaporate from the market a little bit. So we are definitely experiencing um, a contraction of confidence, which is manifesting itself already in investment in some of the early stage and sort of a and b round for companies um Mm -hmm. so um, and also some redundancies starting to take place and some projects being put on hold so that that sort of contraction and evaporation of of confidence is in the short term going to have some some effects immediate effects um in the in the corporate world i think projects strategic projects may start to be pulled i'm starting to see some hesitancy in terms of initiating um searches but not everywhere but in some places so um, and then i'm also seeing my clients who are all human beings as well having to adjust to exactly the same things we're adjusting to here no matter where you are in the world um you know getting used to the fact that you have all of your children all of your family together in a confined space you know, new systems, new routines, um, that's, so it's, uh, everyone's adjusting.
1: Okay. There's, there's a huge amount of adjustment and, and also a lot of talk about the fact that, you know, we have dropped into that L recession, um, obviously Mm. brought forward by the pandemic and what's happening. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of adjustment in, in the next 18 months. Um, Mm. and, you know, what advice are you giving to your clients right now? Because what we know that what they're looking for is reassurance and they're looking for guidance. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I I think, well, I think, um, I don't, I don't ever profess to be able to advise everybody, but I, I, um, I think the people who are younger than me are probably being able to sit. I'm, I'm reminding them that, um, of the last financial crisis some of them some people aren't old enough to have been through the last global financial crisis and for me I was it was a keen memory for me it was my moment of um, humility and my moment of um, adversity because I lost probably near on a quarter of a million pounds in the last recession didn't make any money for 18 months my wife who's my business partner Fiona who was pregnant so wasn't active in the business at the time in the same way um, we've just taken on a massive mortgage. I remember very keenly what happened in the last financial crisis and I remember the, what was important and what wasn't. And so I'm in answer to your question, what am I doing? I'm, I'm just reminding people that, you know, trust is going to be an increasingly important commodity. Um, planning and being prudent in your planning is going to be incredibly important and that we will find that there's probably an asymmetric reward to being prudent um, versus bullish right now. So what I mean by that is it would make sense that you, you marshal your forces that you are considered an economical in your spending right now. Um, because if you get it wrong, fine. Um, the market will, will, will do a V V-shaped um, recovery in, in the Q4 and we'll all be singing again and happy and everybody can tell me I'm an idiot. Um, but if it doesn't go well, Then the downside, and if you haven't planned for it, the downside is significantly worse to the upside. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think there's an asymmetric return to being very prudent right now and being cautious in the face of the market. Um, That Mm -hmm. said, you know, and the other thing I'm advising people, really, you know, beyond sort of the market conditions and what I'm seeing, is that. I think now is the time to continue to invest in your network from a from a recruitment point of view. If you are thinking you may be at risk, it is to act as soon as you possibly can to start building the networks and the relationships that you need.
1: Yes. Um, and, and then, nurturing the relationships that you have, nurturing and looking after those current clients.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's a really good point. I mean, that you say when when I when I'm speaking to my coach um, and he asks me, you know where am I at the moment? I say, I'm literally just trying to knock down the opportunities that are in front of me right now. Um, let's, um, let's chop logs. Let's put them in the wood store. (laughs) Let's get ready for winter. And, um, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Um, metaphorically and practically speaking at the moment. So, um, I, yes, I'm, I'm doing that and that's, uh, and then I'm trying to look after myself because without your health, without your well-being, then, um, yeah
1: absolutely and remembering that it's winter but summer will come again and we know that the likelihood is summer's 18 months off but it will come and there will come that growth just keeping reminding ourselves of that be prepared
0: yeah i'm writing I'm, i'm writing an article on that right now actually a piece um i'm a big fan of warren buffett and charlie munger uh and i He has a great quote, which is, you only know who's been swimming naked when the tide goes out. And um, I think a lot of people have been swimming naked and the tide is definitely going out. And that's exactly what happened in the last financial crisis, is that all of a sudden um, hubris, exuberance, um, exaggeration, all of those commodities which seemed to be in such high esteem at uh, the peak of the markets, which is always in that way um, are quickly devalued, and then it's when it gets down to the fundamentals of business fundamentals of revenue profit revenue cost profit right that's yeah what it starts getting down to so um yeah i'm I'm also trying to read all the great minds right now and i've um actually got a stack of books just over there which I must show you in a moment that um I'd recommend all your listeners to get, which is The Wit and Wisdom of um, Charlie Munger, um, which I think at this moment is a great read. Okay. Your listeners can get hold of one of these copies. This is um, Al- Charlie's Almanac. Almanac. Um, you can order it directly from the printer in um, the US and it's, it's about $50. Otherwise, it's okay. quite expensive, about £100 otherwise, but that's a great read. So uh, Charlie Munger's thoughts on business. And-
1: okay, I'll get a link to that afterwards beautiful i've just um, i've just finished reading the monk who sold his ferrari i think i mentioned it to you before it's okay. a good
0: title I remember that <laughs>
1: yeah it was it's one of those cult books that actually if this is the most perfect time to read it was recommended by sam Brunson on his instagram account actually and you know i had a deep dive into that and just talking about just reassessing everything you know, and how often do we get a chance with the greatest respect to what's happening out there and everybody who's looking after us, how often do we get a chance to actually take a step back and to reevaluate everything, mm. um, you know, now more perfect than ever. Okay, so let's, uh, a little bit more on recruitment, so recruiting talent has to be mm. the number one most important element of any business. Um, you can have the best strategies in the world but if you don't have the talent to implement them we're not going to get through this period for a start
0: well hi you are preaching to the choir on that one um (laughs) i i think i i find it obviously it's often a a very odd concept that we even have to debate this that talent is the number one commodity let's demystify let and let's get clear serious about what talent actually is i mean talent is people right And all all businesses depend on people, Um, depend on people to buy the products that they have, depend on people to create the products that they have. So yes, your absolute number one asset of any business is your people, Um, it's talent. Um, You know, I I recently read um, Lee Kuan Yew, who is the founding father of modern day Singapore. Mm. Um, And he created a, a country which went from a third world country to a first world with no discernible like raw um, assets like oil and gold per capita GDP was something like um, $50,000 income for each of its um, citizens. And he says number one asset that he had were his people, a highly educated, disciplined, cultured people. Um, If you look at any of the great minds, I mean, if you think of, um, I mean, I go back to Warren Buffett and you think of the people, when he invests, he invests in, in people. Um, and if you go through to any other people like Ray Dalio, you talk, him talk about the world's largest hedge fund. This guy is a fantastic, you know, he talks, they've absolutely built their business to number one, fundamentally recruit very, very good people. So I kind of feel like I could bang that drum with you quite a long time. Um, so, um, yes, people are, are the number one asset, um, and talent. I mean, people maybe overuse this, but talent, we have an equation for talent and what talent actually is. Um, talent is for us ability plus motivated relevant experiences multiplied multiplied by time plus or minus conditions so so the ability is say in a sporting context i know you're a fan of rugby would be uh, a rugby player's capability to either just kick the ball or to um to run at speed that baseline agility coordination capability um, the relevant experiences would be then layered on top, which would be say kicking the ball, practicing in multiple times, being coached on body position, used to how to handle the ball. And you need to have motivation for those relevant experiences. So those relevant experiences need to have somebody who is motivated to conduct them multiplied by time. Once you kind of condense that together, that is what talent is. Um, that is the sort of the combination of talent. And that's what you want in your business. You want somebody who has, who's like to be smart, who's going to fit with your culture and your values. And then you give them relevant experiences that they are motivated to execute and you give them the best conditions in which to execute those, those, those relevant experiences.
1: Beautiful motivation. That, that, that's for me the key word. There has to be that motivation there.
0: Yeah. I mean, motivation is a, a very important condition. Um, I think actually when I'm interviewing for candidates, we're often seeking motivation as one of the key, um, key factors in whether or not we define that person to be talented and to be mm-hmm. suitable for our client. Um, it's the direct route into, um, whether or not that person will be resilient is how they are motivated. So, um, you know, I think, uh, one of the other books I'm reading is on my desk here is this one, which is, um, Viktor Frankl's A Man's Search for Meaning. Um, your listeners who haven't heard of this book, um, Viktor Frankl was a survivor of Auschwitz um, and then became a famed psychologist and created a, a psychology called logotherapy. But within the book, um, it was written in 1945 when he left um, Auschwitz and was talking about his experiences, and there he said, and I hope I get this quote right, that um, you give a man a why they can withstand any how. Yes. Um, Give a man a why, and he can Beautiful. withstand anyhow. And I think that's what he was saying within the camps, in his experience, was that if you were motivated, you had a reason to continue to live, you lived. Yes. You were, you really could withstand anything. And I know this has been taken forward by people like Simon Sinek and and other modern day philosophers in the business context. Um, and I think any any sports environment, they'll talk about motivation. And I think your your listeners will know that um, you know, when you're trying to achieve anything like losing weight or running for a marathon or um,
1: yeah.
0: you know, trying to
1: have to have to be why stay in a good this,
0: relationship, you need to be motivated.
1: For sure. Now this um brings me to to talking about companies and the fact that we're we're moving our business models to more of a purpose driven model. So rather than the old traditional sales model. It's now it's purpose driven, and that hmm. candidates now, if I'm right in saying so, candidates are looking for companies that align with their values, and that they that can help them deliver their purpose.
0: Hmm. I think I think I would agree with the the, the general thrust of that. Yes, um, there are still assholes out there who don't care. <laughs> Tracy, um, um, being being very blunt. Um, I think some people, yeah, just in it for themselves, and um, there are those who are consumed by the ego. Those people aside, yes, I think we are um, in a generation where that is searching for purpose, that is searching for meaning, that is disconnected from a greater sense of I, from what is the purpose of it all. Um, and so are seeking for that fulfilment in their work. And you know, I can only tell you, I'm probably part of that experience myself because you know, I've I went through a number of challenges. I have made money. I've kind of achieved many of the things I wanted to do. But you get to a stage where you know, realize that that's no longer enough, and you need to have a reason to continue. Particularly in a career after 20 years, which I'm Tracy, I'm sure you know, you've been in your your industry as well for a long time. And it gets to a point where you're like, I, I need another reason. I need some purpose. Um, so increasing the candidates I'm seeing in the market, those who are the very best candidates who are going to be the best motivated candidates are those that you can clearly connect the purpose of your opportunity, your client opportunity with their purpose. And once you connect those two things together, that's where the magic happens. Of course they need to have the skills, but once you get what they're intrinsically motivated by and their purpose, and you can connect that to your job, then you've got an employee who's really going to turn up rain, sun, shine, snow, whatever is going to be happening to them, pandemic, they will be there in your business driving towards success. And and that's who we all want to be
1: working with. Right? So do you think that change is happening earlier? So for us, for example, we may have gotten to our early thirties, mid thirties and decided enough. We, we need a, a a change in direction, a change in value. Um, Is it happening sooner now? Are we moving into that state during our twenties, for example? Oh
0: no! I would, do, would, I, would I go as far as to say that I think they're more um, philosophical? Um, I I don't know. I I'm I'm always reticent to say to sort of be nostalgic for some type of previous um, you know enlightened age that has passed us by. I I or, you know I, I think personally I think when you reach a certain age point um, I think also that that is a catalyst for some deeper consideration. Um, I mean, I'm 38 now, approaching 40. Um, and of course, for me at this moment in time, I'm thinking much more deeply about and my children. I'm like, what is the purpose of me? You know, I can all of a sudden realize that the years I have left are quickly reaching, are going to be, le- you know, less than the years that I've had, right? And so that's also a moment of reflection that, that I think starts driving you towards purpose. Um, but I think what we are seeing in society, a wider society right now, Tracy, in answer to your question, some of the philosophy that I have or some of the, you know, the, the theory I have around this is that there are a lot of people who um, can, can see social media, can see other people supposed, supposedly living a dream, and they want to have that and they want to have a deeper connection. So um, yeah, maybe, maybe it is a, a factor of time, or maybe just all youth is, is dreamy.
1: Let's move on to, to talking about challenges. And, you know, obviously you're facing some challenges now. Uh, and I want to ask the question, what what are the biggest challenges being faced by your industry at the moment? You know, mm. especially given where we are. I mean, we touched on it briefly before. What are the- Well, okay.
0: Uh, I mean, I don't know how much your listeners are gonna be interested to hear about what I think the challenges are for recruitment. I'm not sure. I'm always kind of thinking, getting people excited about recruitment is it's kind of getting like people getting excited about doing your tax return. Um, I think what, what recruitment actually does and serves is probably um, a little bit more you know, more exciting when I think of the industries that we're working within right now. Um, what is the biggest challenge? I think fundamentally it continues to be um, that people are lazy when it comes to um, recruiting. And um, the more and more I, I work in this area that I realize and, and training people and developing them is that they, people think they're good interviewers. They think it is easy. To interview, and they are once they start having the curtain pulled back to what is actually you know, considered to be world class interviewing, they can quickly realize how hard it is. Um, but it's a journey that's worth taking. So, my biggest concern is that people don't continue to invest in the skills of asking great questions, of learning how to listen,
1: yeah.
0: um, and then from that getting so once you ask great questions you start getting great answers and that, that's yeah. where you can make great decisions
1: that's where so, you can move down through the levels of depth
0: yeah exactly so okay. you, you asked me you know what, what i think the big concerns are for my industry i mean I, I kind of take it in my own direction there with that but i do think this is critical and it will become even more important um as we move into more difficult times that the hiring decisions that you do make mm-hmm. as we go into um, the trouble times that are ahead you want to get it right um, you want to have that one, that one person that you do hire to be absolutely fantastic. And so you should be investing as much time as you can in becoming a world-class interviewer in asking great questions, presenting yourself, you know, articulately, um, understanding the motivations of the people in front of you and really looking to make sure you get the right fit for everyone.
1: Perfect. So- you know, we know that everyone can to, can rock up to an interview and put on that, you know, put on their suit and put on their kind of their game face. What are the questions that you would ask to go a little bit deeper?
0: It's it's a difficult one because it's kind of like saying, which you know, which shot would you choose to win um, to win the the Masters in golf? But is there a key?
1: Right? Is there a key question that you know will get to the point? You know, you know what you want them to mm. say
0: there's never like a golden bullet question. And this is, this is the tricky thing about about interviewing is that it is a performance sport, right? So um, it really depends upon the context and the situation, but I I would say that sort of, I go back a few layers, right? And when I'm at the moment, I'm coaching people through um, a program that we have, which is called found where we teach founders and hiring leaders to how to recruit their dream team. And um, the first component of the module, the first part of our training starts with the introduction. It all starts there. So before we get going on asking questions on knowing anything like that, we absolutely firstly start with introductions. Why, why do we start with introductions? Because introductions build trust and trust is the foundation of any fantastic conversation. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, an interview is just a conversation. It's just a story that has an interactive element to it. Right. And so all psychologists, all counselors, they all start with a rapport face. So any of your listeners are out there who've been to a psychologist or have been to a kind of counseling session, know that they sit down and say, how are you? How's your day been? Um, you know, how was your journey here? How are you feeling today? They don't go straight into, okay, tell me what is wrong with your life. You know, that is not what happens. And it's not either what you should do in an interview, you know, go to, you know, go straight in for the kill um, or try and nail that one major question like, you know, why are you bad for this role? What's wrong with you? What can't you do for this role? Or, you know, tell me about that time in your childhood when you you most regret, you know, something you didn't do. You know, something like these. These are deep, deep. I don't want to be evasive. So <laughs> let me give you an example, if I may. Um, resilience. So I have four main values that I search for in candidates. We have a taste, exige taste in candidates. Um, this is founded off a, a great guy called Graham Duncan, um, who is a founder of Hedge Fund in the US. Um, an amazing guy. And he and, and and many of the Stoics and others have these kind of foundational qualities to look for. So we're looking for humility, integrity, assertiveness, and resilience. Those are our four main values, okay? Many people talk about resilience as something like quality. So I like to think of it as Resilience is, is your ability to keep the fire burning even when it's raining, right? That's my kind of the way I like <laughs> nice. to consider it, right? And the fire is driven by motivation, right? So we talked about earlier. Motivation is what keeps that fire burning even when it's raining. So how are you motivated? How can I understand what motivates Tracy, what, whoever motivates the person in front of me? So we'll start by asking them why they left their first job, why they've left their last job. That's a good in in as any. So we'll say to you, you know, why are you leaving your current job? Hmm. And they may say, well, you know, it's just a time for me to make a move. And I think now's the time to look for a new challenge. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We don't accept that. Okay. So we're like, okay, that's very nice. What is it though about your current role that's not interesting you? And so what we're using here is we use open questions and then they will give us an answer back. Well, you know, um, my boss, you know, he's, he's a decent person, but, you know, I'm feeling like it's time for me to really just find somewhere else to go and, you know, just of spread my wings. Okay. So what is it about the relationship with your boss that's not going right? We know what, a so what question is another open question. And then they'll start laying out a bit more detail. And then we'll ask again. And we'll ask again. And, and the trick, the secret to a good interviewer is being able to ask a question even when it feels a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> or ask, continue going until you hit the treasure. Okay. Yeah. Then we will probably find out from them that they will say, what I really don't like is that I don't get any, any um, recognition for the hard work that I do. I'm not working for someone who brings a team together. I don't feel loved. I don't feel anybody in the team feels particularly you know, cared for. And all of my work is really just not seeming to mean anything. Okay. So what we have there is we have someone who's driven by teamwork and impact. So we would say, okay, so you impact driven. So we could say, maybe we could hypothesize that person we mainly indirect. So we could then ask questions which focus on impact. So tell us about work that was really meaningful for you to you. What do you remember being something that you really love doing? What do you love doing in your private life? Yeah. And then we're starting to get down to impact. Okay. 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 Then we pass that to the role that we're working on. So if we know we're trying to find some of you, Tracy, where we are looking for someone who maybe is doing reach out work for you, maybe has to go and find out about other fantastic speakers. And you're looking to interview for that. I'd say to this person, look, I am working with a fantastic lady who is all about making impact in the world. It's about changing the way that people think, pulling great people together and creating communities. Your job is going to be helped build that by finding other great guests, working on that. You know, Does that sound like something that's going to be of interest to you? So hey, there you go. So what we're trying to do there is we're connecting the purpose of the role, the why, and we're connecting to what is intrinsically driving that person. Now, if I got a candidate who was saying to me, I'm actually all about the money. You know, I want power. I want to lead, which is absolutely fine if I need a leader, but I'll be like, Hmm, it's probably isn't going to be right for Tracy. Um, then I need somebody else. So, yeah. and you can see how in that example, I've given you that there was maybe no killer question. I would say it's like, you know, building a house, you know, or being in a garden is the metaphor I use. You know, if you ask a gardener, how do you grow that beautiful rose? They won't say, oh, it's this one thing I did last Tuesday, two months ago. Um, they would say, it's, you know, it's a thousand things, you know, the, the fertilization, the caring, the pruning, the timing, the, you know, the seeding, you know, all of these things that go into creating that beautiful bloom. And that's a similar kind of metaphor I'd use for. So,
1: William, great Ambition and commitment to growth does not come without its levels of risk and stress. We know that. And I know that your own journey has not escaped that tra- that stress. I mean, we've talked openly before about peak performance and how we reach it, um, and that you've personally gone as far as to explore what some might consider to be controversial states of consciousness. Um, <laughs> I know you have an interest in um, an experience with transformational breathing, for example. So let's move the conversation in that direction and jump a little deeper into that, because I'll be honest, it's an area that really fascinates me as well. Um, Tell me a little more about your experiences. Um, I know, and and how that kind of interest, I I guess we're gonna go down the route of talking about the whole sort of psychedelic medicine side of things mm. which uh, you know, yeah. there's, there is a lot of interest in at the moment i know i've just been watching um a series on netflix by goop um exploring just that and i know yeah. that you've had some experience um in retreats yourself so let's explore that a little bit
0: let's open the lid why Let, not okay so the craziness inside <laughs> William maintenance head yes um, so um where to start for folks um I am a reflective person, so I think my superpower is to overthink. It's the worst superpower you could ever get, I think sometimes um but um you know i so I reached a point in my life, my thirties, I had materially everything I had a family, a beautiful family, an amazing wife, great house, and you know money and you know material outward success, all the things. but I knew there wasn't something quite right
1: something was um, missing the
0: level of. It was a level within me which, you know, I wasn't entirely sure what I should be doing or what was wrong or, you know, how I'd be, you know, entirely fulfilled. And so I decided that I wanted to spend time working on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been greatly influenced by people like Tim Ferriss, um, Sam Harris, um, some great thinkers, and all of the people that that kind of orbit those those people's great work, you know, we've gone through to people like Gabor Maté, um, he's a psychologist who's worked a lot with psychedelics, um, read, you know, Stoic philosophy and all the various books that I've got into over the years. Mm -hmm. And I I used that as a bit of an exploration really into trying to figure out how I could improve me, Mm. how I could be a better husband. I could be a better father, a better friend, son, brother, Mm -hmm. Um, to the people around me. And I realized I could. I realized I could improve myself definitely and I could overcome um, and go on a further journey for that. So where did I start? I I started with um, meditation, first of all. Meditation had been sort of orbiting my life as I think it does for many people, as Mm -hmm. this sort of nebulous concept that Mm -hmm. people kept referring to, these great thinkers and people I really admired. I was like, okay, they're meditating. Okay, okay, I get it. Um, Yeah, maybe I'll try it sometime. Maybe I won't. And I didn't really connect. And then for whatever reason, I think I was listening to a podcast with um, Tim Ferriss interviewing Sam Harris. And I thought, and he was talking about his waking up app. And I thought, hey, I think now's the time. Now's the time I do it. And I um, started meditating for a few months and it really changed for me. At that time, it coincided I gave up alcohol as well. Um, I decided that um, I needed a big challenge and I couldn't go off and climb the mountain or do the marathon. So I thought I'll bring the marathon on the mountain to William. Um, and I decided to give up alcohol, which was incredibly difficult, um, but also incredibly rewarding. So I gave up alcohol.
1: Have you been um, a heavy drinker? or? Just um, so- I think I
0: was, I think I was classically like a lot of people. Um, I was drinking, not knowing that I was drinking to excess. Um, I wasn't an alcoholic. Um, I don't think I was extremely problematic, but I think I had a problem that I was drinking too much. Um, you know, any adult who's waking up every weekend with a hangover or is, you know, more regularly in a month has at least two, you know, hangovers. I think you have to start asking yourself a question. Yeah. What are you doing? Right. I mean, even when you start to assess your consumption and you realize you're drinking every night, it's probably Mm. too much. And so I read a book actually called, um, the, um, the, the joy of being sober. I think I get that right. And, um, that was a great just a sort of a moment. I was like, wow, okay, I can see the point in this. And then, you know, more the, the people, the minds I, I appreciate like Ryan holiday and, um, I can't, although those have gone gone out of my head now and I was thinking, I kept hearing these people saying, I don't drink, I don't drink, I don't drink. And I'm like, okay, they meditate. They don't drink. They're into stoic yeah. stoicism. All right. I'm thinking I'm gonna, I'm gonna check this out. So I did that. Um, and around about that same time as well, I'd been exploring the use of the idea of using um, psychedelics as well as a, if I'm honest, it was going to be a shortcut. So mm-hmm. I was interested in ayahuasca, um, in using sort of psilocybin or some mm-hmm. type of um, psychedelic as part of a retreat to expand your mind, to deal mm-hmm. with things, right?
1: So basically um, putting yourself in an environment where you're looked after, where, it's, where you're nurtured yeah. through the process.
0: Yeah. yeah i'm not, i'm not going i'm not putting on like you know i'm not going out and raving and uh, you know <laughs> just and, to clean up um, William <laughs> I'm not going out just to get smashed up and that that was that's maybe you know time for it <laughs> in your twenties maybe no was... i don't i don't but um for me no, it was not about um going out and getting um yeah and and just having a good time um I did have a good time <laughs> but um i, I actually know i i had some deep work that I wanted to do, and some sadness inside me some suffering if i'm honest and as um you know, I'd been a, a striver, you know, I'd been responsible for a lot of people. I've been carrying around a lot of baggage from my childhood. And, um, and
1: my, a lot of us do unknowingly in many circumstances.
0: Oh Christ, I, I, I have no problem to tell you that, you know, yes, of mm-hmm. course, I was carrying stuff around. Anybody tells you they're not. I'm like, first of all, wow. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> and then secondly, you're a lying bugger because I think everybody is suffering in some way. I was carrying around some, some bullshit from failed relationships from, be that with, with a partner or be that with a with parents or you know whatever bitches, it is right
1: whatever
0: exactly so i had my fair share of knocks that i was carrying about and um, i wanted to put them down so um i um, was going to go to uh, south america to go and do ayahuasca retreat out there um well it was, it was costa rica but when i realized i had to be away from the family for such a long time that wasn't going to work mm-hmm. um so um i did a bit more research and you know, at the time Tim Ferriss was working was doing a lot of podcasts on this and he still is a big advocate of um, psychedelics and the use of psychedelics mm-hmm. um, and I found a retreat in Amsterdam who are associated with University College London and John Hopkins doing studies on therapeutic use of um, psilocybin um, as part of a retreat mm-hmm. and so uh, the, the retreat is called synthesis and I'm telling you and it was um and you could fly from exeter back then when Flybe existed um, <laughs> you could fly from uh, from exeter to amsterdam and i thought it was on my doorstep no problem let's do that you know so i um i pulled the pin um booked it up and went <laughs> and you know it's very professionally done i think for any most people i tell them this at dinner party they're like wow will you went to amsterdam and got fucked up on mushrooms i'm like yeah, no <laughs> yes but no that's not quite what it was about um for me, it was actually, a, it was a more deeper exploration. So
1: you took me through the process. How did it yeah, work? And what? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Of course. So you, you sign up to go, you, <laughs> you have to fill out an application and they ask you questions about your mental health.
1: <laughs> um,
0: you know, are you, are you using any substances? Do you have any mental health conditions? Because usually what they're trying to understand is if you have any sort of form of psychosis or schizophrenia in the family, because... I'll be clear here to you, Tracy, you know, everybody should be careful. These are serious substances, right? And for not they're not for everyone. Um, if you have a history of psych, you know, sort of say schizophrenia in the family, if, as Sam Harris puts it, if tugging on the anchor of sanity, um, is, is in any way a danger for you and it could be loosed, don't do them, you know, don't risk it. But if you feel like you've got a strong anchor on reality and, and um, normality, then it's okay. Um, then you could definitely experience it. Um, so I'd done my groundwork here. I, you know, I'd, I'd sort of read up a lot. I'd worked through the, you know, the specialists, and i sort of, you know, was doing my meditation, and I wasn't entirely scared of them. You know, I had my time in my twenties to experience some psychedelics um, more recreationally. Yeah. Um, but then, um, yeah. So you call up, you you, you sort of you apply, and then uh, then a facilitator calls you, who's going to be what your, your your coach during the process, and they have a talk to you on the phone. Why are you doing it? What have you done? have you read Gabble Mate? And I'm like, yes, I have. Have you listened to Tim Ferriss? Yes, I have. Um, you know, have you done all the background? i have absolutely been doing my, my research. Um, are you meditating? And I'm like, yes, I'm meditating. So I was like, yes, yes, yes. Tick, tick, tick. So, and, and there's good reason to that, by the way, you should do all those things before you go. And so then you travel, they're like, okay, you can come. You sound like a normal type of psychedelic, you know, person. So let's do this. Um, so yeah. you go and you arrive and it's in this beautiful converted church on the outside of outskirts of um, Amsterdam. So you get picked yeah. up from the, from the airport. I personally traveled out the day before. So I spent a day in my own, on my own in a hotel, which was great just to have some time to myself doing some meditation, just, you know, relaxing. Cause you feel nervous, you know, it's, it's kind of nerve wracking and then you arrive at the, the the center. It's beautiful. Everything they have, all the food cooked is um, vegan for, for the entire three, um, three days are there. Um, they have a sauna, so you can go use the sauna downstairs. they have a meditation room, big church room which's been converted beautiful, beautiful building and so then and then they have facilitated sessions throughout so you have a you know breathwork session they, they really talk to you through the process they help you set intentions going in so you 're sort of setting what you 're trying to achieve from using the psilocybin and from the retreat and then you do a breathwork session um, for before you start the session so you you do a breathwork session. Um,
1: this is breath work. I know I've, I've watched a lot of Wim Hof hmm. and his work.
0: Yeah. This-, this is different types. This is called transformational breath work. Okay. So with Wim Hof-, Wim Hof, you do like a circle, but then you do a breath hold with transformational breath. It's like a consistent circular breath okay. and it's, um, you sort of elicit it. you get like, if you do it for long enough, you start to create, get colors that which get created. Um, I, I really recommend that. Um, I think it's, um, st- um, Dr. Graf, who did a lot of studies in Czechoslovakia. I think I'll get that right. i to kick myself if I don't. Um, and he used psychotropic breathing as part of a methodology. He was doing a lot of early work with LSD in the 60s, and then he got banned. And so then they used, um, he then created a breathing methodology which would elicit many of the, the same experiences that you get from using psychotropics. psychotropic breathing, basically, it's cool, because you can actually create some of the same experiences just through breathing. So in transformational breath work, you do a cycle breath, in, out, so in, and you keep that, you do like a circuit breath all the way through and you keep going and you keep going. I, um, I had some pretty profound experiences through that. You know, I'd been building up. There was stuff I wanted to do. I wanted to, I was working through, you know, I'd done my meditation, I have a big night before thinking about things and, um, you know, without going into too much, I suppose. I mean, I cried like a baby for 45 minutes. I, I, no. I'm not too. During um,
1: the process itself.
0: The breathwork, yeah. So I, I entered into the session. and I had a lot of stuff that was bubbling. You know, they they treat they treat this place like it's it is a church. You know, they sacred spaces for them, and it's very very encouraging. Everybody gets really looked after, and it, through the breathwork, you know, I had what I had probably one of the most profound experiences just through the breathwork. I had a I had what I would consider to be an, a near death experience um, from from yeah. the breathwork itself. Um,
1: can you can you go a little deeper
0: then? I, I I can yeah I don't mind. It's just a kind of relatively long story, but um, you don't mind me telling you that's it. Um, no, yeah, it's,
1: it's, okay. That's, so, that's,
0: um, so upon arriving at at, at the centre. I'm most of the other people who are with me are in a bit older than me, similar ish ages, but older than me. You know, a lot of A performers, a lot of millionaires actually were there in fairness, people who were yeah. in the music industry or who you know, had big businesses and sold out and you know, all this kind of phase of their life where they're in exploration. So we're all sort of kind of gang, you know, talking around things and stuff. And we're all kind of, you know, we can tell we're all been those people who've been sort of doing the self flagellation that beating ourselves up a lot, um, all the way through our lives, you know. That's that's usually the, the you know, one of the
1: well, sort of being a high of, performer that, and the sense of not feeling enough is that yeah
0: yeah that's why people perform right you know they're always like i push mm-hmm. myself harder i'm not good enough i'm not good enough i'm not going I want more 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 you know that wasn't good enough do it again do it again do it again um that can really help you be successful it can really help you be massively unhappy as well <laughs> when it comes when you've done achieved everything you get to that pinnacle and you're like shit okay uh now i just keep beating yeah. myself up yeah so that 's sort of some of the context, but anyway, I went into the breath work, not really knowing what to expect, but as you do the breath work, it really starts releasing a lot of emotion, and for me I, um, I just felt like I had to cry, which was a bit embarrassing, given that I was in a room full of strangers for the first time, um, and you 're like there are like fifteen people in this room, and i 'm crying like a baby, and i 'm thinking, why the hell am I crying so much um, and i 'm doing the breath work i 'm doing the breath work, and, and it 's really, really kind facilitators are there that they just come up and they put your hands on you. Um, they're there with you. Um, and I felt, you know, real, um, fellowship with strangers, which is great. You know, you're just being cared for by people you don't know. And that really means a lot as well on 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 another level community. Again, there's no psilocybin by this point. Right. I'm I'm straight, I'm straight as straight can be right. No drinking, no nothing. Right. Um, and as I'm doing the breath work, you know, I'm, I'm feeling generally like um, you're doing the breathing in and out. And you know what? I got this really feeling that like I just didn't want to breathe anymore. I didn't want to breathe anymore. I just thought, you know what? Oh, it's just you know, you this, what? this bullshit. This bullshit of life. this everything else. I just took this, just stopped breathing. I just decided to stop breathing um, during the through the breath soak. And, and I remember then sinking back down um, below the ground. And I was looking up like I was underwater. Okay. And everything went incredibly still. And at that moment, I felt like I could die. And, and not in a bad way. I mean, I felt like it felt incredibly peaceful, incredibly peaceful. I felt like I won't have to, to you know, to put up with any of the, the suffering and pain of life. I'm okay. And then I had this realization that, you know what, Will, there's going to be a time in your life when you won't be able to make the choice to breathe again. There'll be a point in your life where you won't have this choice to go on. And it's at that moment I took a massive deep breath in and I remember kind of coming back up into my body and I just had a huge smile on my face. And I was so grateful for the chance to breathe again. That truthful appreciation of the moment that I had this moment and there will be a future point in my life when it will be the final moment for me, and I will not be able to take another breath, and that will be its own journey. But at that moment, I came up and I had a very vivid experience, and I remember this, Tracy, that I just wanted to hug myself, <laughs> which is a really weird experience because you can't really hug yourself because it's kind of a weird thing. You have to do like a mummy <laughs> thing. But I had this great smile on my face. I was never. I was no longer crying at sadness. I was now crying at a happiness because I'd have a revelation. That I was incredibly lucky to be alive. I was incredibly lucky to be able to breathe because there are millions of people, billions of people around the world, who won't be able to breathe, who won't be able to take another breath again. And and it was a really like a rebirth for me at that moment. Um, and so I grab onto that. I try and remember that, and I, I carry a coin around with me. Um, you know, ever since was a stoic coin, um, which is um, Memento Mori. Is um,
1: that I'll take a photograph of is, that. Um,
0: like which is, remember death. <laughs> so, you know, there's a you could leave life right now. So Stoics believed in this, is this contemplation on death, um, that life is given to no man, that a moment is, you know, is sacred. Um, um, and all there is, is the moment. So that was really, that was a, an incredible moment. So I'm thinking, geez, I've got all my money's worth. I'm only on the first day here, right? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even really got to the mushrooms yet.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. But yeah. like, so basically, that process literally emptied emptied out. I guess those layers yeah. and layers and layers of 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 experience and grief and and trauma and everything else, and literally left you empty, in order for you to rebuild.
0: Yeah, I mean, geez, uh, I, I mean, I I have. Um, a full respect for what they're doing with that stuff. Just the breath work alone is incredibly powerful. It's actually what really led me on then onto Wim Hof breathing. Cause so that's where I left the, the retreat. Um I left that and I came back to 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 home and I was like I was very much resigned um um that I would be spending much more time um doing my breath work and breath work and meditation would become a more fundamental part of my life. Um and it has I I, I would um Say then, you know, really, then I went on to then I went on to the psychedelic retreat. So you do your breath work, you do all that, and then I went on to the
1: retreat. I I have to say I have the utmost respect for a what you went through and b for sharing that. Thank you. Well,
0: oh, my pleasure. It's an that's just. Yeah, the reason I tell it to people and and I'm happy to share it with you and and um hope someone one of your listeners may find it useful because. Um, there's great practitioners for transformational breath in the UK. We're very, very fortunate. And, um, there are many, and there are many of these modalities, which are incredibly beneficial for dealing with the trauma that we're all suffering from. But I I will tell you this, you can't deal with it unless you decide to deal with it. You know what I mean? You, You can't just do it on your own. You can't just bump through life. Um, just going for a run when you feel stressed out or just, you know, having a glass of wine you know, there is stuff that needs to be dealt with There's stuff that needs to be worked on. And so you need to go and work on it. And, and, and that's mm-hmm. going to take, you know, take some dedicated time for yourself. And if my story is, is, is meaningful to anybody in any sort of way, then I'm be incredibly happy to know that somebody could then have the bravery to go and search out some of these modalities.
1: Absolutely. And you know, one of the things about the, the situation that we all find ourselves in now is that a lot of us are going to be spending a lot of time with ourselves and starting to get to know ourselves, and a lot of us are suddenly going to find there are a lot of demons to face. Oh, Christ, and so, yeah. Yeah. you yeah. know, <laughs> if there was ever yeah. a time to really think about taking things to that next level. Um, mm. You know, I'm a I'm a huge fan. I openly talk about meditation. I'm a I, d- I meditate daily. But you know, I too know that I could quite easily take things to you know just explore it a little bit more. Mm. Um, but you know,
0: I, I heard a great, a great thing that Sam Harris said. So Sam Harris is the teacher that, the, that I study under with, um, his waking up app and a, guy, a great, great podcast, amazing thinker. know, he said the thing about, um, mindfulness, um, meditation is that it allows you to recognize the emotions and the feelings that you're having, but it doesn't give you a new mental model by which to deal with the emotions and feelings that you're mm-hmm. having. So if you're recognizing anger, and sadness, and you're being able to calm that down. Great. That is a tool, which is very useful. But Mm -hmm. if, but if all you're doing is that anger and that sadness is remaining, you need a new mental model by which to deal with that, that fundamental, the core of it. So, um, it's important to recognize what meditation can do and what medication meditation can't do. And that's why I use stoic philosophy as the way to reframe the thoughts and the pain and the, the, the concepts and, and create new mental models, which are much more effective. And then at the same time, layer that on with meditation, which gives me the ability to recognize my emotions in the moment as well and recognize how I'm, how I'm experiencing things. So I think that it's important that we try and be as multidisciplinary as we possibly can. And that we search out as many many mental models and different ways of thinking and approaching problems. So you have the hardware, really, you know, and you have the software. So it's important that you're doing and utilizing both to address that. So um, yeah, that's why I've um, I've gone on the journey with um, with stoicism as my philosophical framework.
1: Can we just touch on on the stoicism no, now? Mm. I know that you um, you know it's something you speak of regularly. What's the philosophy behind it? Just for those who who haven't heard. Mm.
0: Okay, so Stoic philosophy um, originated back in sort of the ancient ancient Greece.
1: Yeah.
0: And, um, you know, one of the most famed Stoic philosophers is probably someone like um, Marcus Aurelius, who was the kind of concerned, thought of as the um, philosopher king, one of the great, uh, last of the great um, Roman emperors, yeah. um, last of the, gold, the golden age of emperors. Um, and then you have someone like Seneca, um, Epictetus, um, Rufus as well. Um, so the ones I I read most on is um, Marcus Aurelius and uh, Seneca. So uh, Stoicism as, as a philosophy came out of a time when there was sort of cynicism and Stoic philosophy. Um, there were a whole range of schools of thinking um, at the time in philosophy back in ancient Greece and Roman times they their philosophy was kind of different to the philosophy that we have now in modern day schools is that their philosophy was a way of life was supposed to kind of improve the way of life i mean a lot of philosophy now is a way of critical thinking methodologies for thinking on on subjects mm-hmm. um and so this is a way for you to think to to basically live your life and, and stoics would believe is a way to live a good life that is their that is our ambition is to have a good life it's it's a, there's a bit of a misnomer that the word stoic unfortunately in english language means to be sort of emotionless and sort of serious yeah.
1: Yeah. um Another community it's, community it's,
0: yeah i mean stoics uh, aren't i mean certainly don't live in that way i think cynics would probably be more in that mm. way um but um stoics believe that you could you know be rich you could have wealth but mm. with, one, with one major caveat that you must be prepared to let the wealth go because if the wealth begins to own you, then it, it actually leads to unhappiness, sort of sickness, a sickness of the, of the soul, a sickness of the mind. It, it, it isn't the journey to a good life. Um, so, uh, and I mean, the mental models they have are absolutely fantastic. Um, I would recommend if any of your listeners are interested um, that they pick up a guide to the good life. Um, that is one of the best introductions I've I've read to stoic philosophy. Um, it's um, Guide to the Good Life is written by um, William B. Irvin Um, the Guide to the Good Life he does an amazing job of breaking down um, Stoic philosophy and making it a very approachable subject for people Um, the one that I the um, other book that i kind of have around me all the time i'm just surrounded by books that's all i am is um is um meditations by marcus Mm -hmm. aurelius everybody will know of this one but be be cautioned reader listeners that you want to get the one you want to get the gregory hayes translation because there are many many different translations from the original greek text um and the gregory hayes version he's um a professor from virginia university in the us i think it's the best translation i've ever experienced because it's just so much more accessible
1: um and so
0: i would i would Really, really strongly recommend that. And then, um, God bless Tim Tim Ferris. Um, he has created a set of free PDF downloads of all the letters of Seneca. A beautiful PDF collection he's created, which you can get for free from his website, which you could always link to as well in the show notes. I'm yeah, sure I will put all um, of
1: the links to all of the books.
0: Yeah. So that would be um, an, an exploration into into Stoicism. Um, you know what, what I what I love about Stoics. One of the key things they believe in is um, is one of the the key elements is is perception. So it's your ability to be able to see the world for what it truly is, to be able to see the things that truly is. So one of the first things, one of the first places I'm always thinking on is is being able to see the world clearly. And so fostering a sense of true perception is harder than it sounds. (laughs) It's really not to be, you know, one of the examples I'll give is like vintage wine. What is vintage wine? Vintage wine is just old fermented grapes. Right? And it's this idea that if you see to the true nature of something, you'll see to its true value. And when you see to its true value, you can really assess its importance in your life and and its importance within the grander scheme of your happiness and ha- living a good life. Um, so yeah, that one—that's kind of a fundamental tenant. I think to one of the fundamental tenets to um, and discipline as well is is another key one. Um, and uh, yeah, but um, we 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 talk about these things for a while. But I think it's a big, big journey. I am a novice Stoic. Um, I am trying to live a good life. Um, and it dovetails. It's entirely secular. It you know, has no religious bent as such. You know, Maybe Epictetus had a bit more of a religious focus on like Zeus and the ancient Greek gods and Roman gods, but they won't, won't trouble you. Um, <laughs> it's, um, it is a very beautiful, very deep philosophical um, exploration, but has an absolute practical application to life.
1: Okay. And that's exactly what we need is that, is is how do we apply it? How do we apply it every day? Um, let's, Mm -hmm. Let's move to, William, I could actually talk to you all day or listen to you. I feel like I have listened to you. I am absorbing what you're saying here. But if we start to think about wrapping this up, what are the things, the three aspects of your day that are the fundamentals, that are the foundation of your everyday life that people can put into practice? now yeah help us through oh
0: god here we go um that's a big question because i'm uh okay so um mind
1: not enough lead into it though it's fine yeah no no it's
0: all right it's all right yeah and um you know i i'm always counseling the people i i i work with and coach and the execs i work with i always want to know also something fundamental about them so in my interviewing when i'm interviewing for for clients um i want to know what type of um routine they have exactly the same way you've asked me because i think it also feeds into resilience um so i believe that you should be looking after mind body and spirit right mind body and spirit those are the key things so i i model that for myself um so my mind mm. um you know body and spirit. So my, my mind is going to be kind of dealt with through things like um my meditation and philosophy um my maybe so i say meditation and then my body is going to be done through it, through exercise and my diet. So I use fasting. Um, every Sunday, I do a 36-hour um, fast. Generally, that's kind of been for the last 15 weeks, although isolation is throwing that a bit. Um, I've periodically used a ketogenic diet as well, um, which I found has brought a lot of clarity and calmness in my life, which has also been a great thing. So that's my body. So exercise, some form of exercise needs to go over the top um, and diet and fasting. <laughs> um, and then my spirit is my philosophy. So I work on that, my philosophical beliefs. So uh, when I start the day, um, I'm really trying to do my meditation. That's my, my my main thing. Just get at least 10 minutes, ideally 20 minutes of meditation in a day. And um, then I'm looking to try and eat well during the day. and, and um,
1: Hydration, water too
0: yeah i'm I'm a big fan of coffee <laughs> a massive fan of coffee so um yeah hydrating and um trying to just keep it you know reasonable um so yeah um, that, that's how i do mind body and spirit do something in each one of those corners do something you know and um that will help but there's a whole other area i could talk about for a long time of interest in mine around ketogenic diet around meditation fasting i'll tell
1: sports. you what we'll do when we're on the other side of this um and we're through and back to some some kind of normality, whatever that normality will be, <laughs> new normality will be. Um, we'll get you into onto the set in the deer park, and we'll do another interview and we'll discuss discuss it further because um it's, it's truly pleasure. fascinating. Um, William, thank you so much for your time. I've, I'm, I'm very conscious that I've not spoken too much through this, but honestly, what you have said is, is so absorbing, um, and mm. I very much appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. I mean, I know um, in in the explanation a bit about psychedelics, I didn't touch actually on my psychedelic experience, um, and and we could certainly talk about that at another point. And um, I'm really happy to share it. Uh, and but I would say if any of your listeners are, are interested, then Um, there is a fantastic, if you put in Sam Harris psychedelics on his podcast, he, um, has some fantastic conversations where he explores it in detail, um, with some of the greatest thinkers around, um, from John Hopkins, some of the people who are leading the, the, the research there. If you also want to search Gabor Mate, um, Gabor is one of the foremost psychologists, um, around trauma, around ADHD and around the use of psychedelics in a therapeutic setting an incredible practitioner. Um, if you just see his his interview with Tim Ferriss alone, it'll blow your mind on the possibilities of interviewing and questioning. But, um, so yeah, that would be enough of a journey for people to start. And if they want to drop me a note, then I'm really more than happy, but do check out Synthesis in Amsterdam. They're doing God's work there. It's absolutely incredible. You'll be looked after incredibly well.
1: I'm going to take a deep dive into it um, mm. and, um, um, and bring myself up to speed a little more because That was an unexpected but lovely, lovely conversation. Thank you so much.
0: My pleasure, it's really great.
1: Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with William. Please check out his website and get in touch through the links below. Remember, you are the solution finders. You are the entrepreneurs, the change makers, the leaders. You don't have to know all the right answers, but your tribes, customers, and teams need to hear that it will be okay and that together you can make common sense decisions based on the information emerging each. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you'll come back next Friday for more. And in the meantime, please stay safe, look out for each other, and most importantly, be kind.